We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 today, so we're going to be in the Word. We've been in Ecclesiastes in a series that we're calling Under the Sun, this concept given to us through Solomon's writing in Ecclesiastes that life under the sun is so often meaningless and the hard way to navigate all in the ups and the downs, and the best way to do that is with wisdom. And so today in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we have a very important follow-up message from last week. So briefly, let me just remind you what we discussed last week. It was that wisdom in a word, it was wisdom makes the face shine. And I hope that all of you got to experience some uh, joyful countenance this last week since we heard the message of God. And last week we went through seven different ways that Solomon offers practical, life-applicable wisdom that would change your mood, that would take you from a stern face to a face of joy, from a heavy heart to a light heart. Today, the very important follow-up message to that is Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And this is a message that I'm, I'm briefly just calling... The Madness, Hope, and Redemption of Being Alive, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And this is a follow-up message because what Solomon is now going to talk about as we've just covered the practical steps of wisdom that will change your countenance is that wisdom is not a mathematical equation that you use to make your life run perfectly. So the question is, how many of you came to church last week, you listened to a message on wisdom, you applied it to your life, you, did, you were slow to anger, you didn't dwell on the past, you, did, you found a balance not overly self-righteous, not overly wicked, you went through all of these steps into how to be wise, and yet your week was still full of madness. It was still hard. There were still people that cut you off and annoyed you and bothered you, and your countenance was not a steady smile all week long. Well, if you're, if you're being true to the question, that's all of you, because you don't leave church, walk in wisdom, come back, and, and bat 1,000% on how life works, because life is madness. That is what Solomon is going to get to. And so today we're going to look at how wisdom, perfectly applied, God's wisdom under the sun, applied to give him glory, will still have lives with, with all sorts of ups and downs and challenges. So this is the madness of life that we'll discuss. But then Solomon says there is hope to the madness that you're experiencing right now, to the world that awaits that is crazy, to the things that will happen this week to prove to you once again that wisdom is not the through line of your life that equals perfection. There's hope for your life, and we'll discuss that. And then redemption, which is what we want to discuss all the time because we're redeemed people, and we want to think how we take the challenges and allow God to turn them into the victory. So we'll talk about that uh, today. But let's get to the word. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 1, For I considered this in my heart, so that I could declare it all, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. So whatever you did to be righteous, to follow the Lord, to be wise and to apply it to your life, ultimately you're giving all of that to God. And then God sovereignly directs the way that will uh, move in your life. And he says this, people know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. What well, your view on life is so limited, you don't even know what you're really looking at. And here's the reality that awaits us all. This is one of the verses in Ecclesiastes that makes this sometimes a hard read for us because it reminds us something that we often try to avoid. Life is not an equation. 
following God is not 2 plus 2 equals 4. Wisdom applied does not always equal smooth waters and easy sailing. He says all things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good, the clean, and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. So he who takes an oath, I, I, don't, I want to tell the truth. And then the one who isn't because he's caught in a lie. He who is doing everything he can to live well. And the ones that are like, I, I'm just living my life however I want to. Solomon steps back at the end of it all. And we have the picture of the man reviewing his life and all of the decisions that he made. And he said, you know, it's actually kind of random, the success that we get and the failures that we get in life under the sun. In our view, without the knowledge of the sovereign God directing us and moving in our lives to shape us and mold us for something he's designing, it could look very random. And that's where the madness comes in. And this is how he's going to begin to answer that question. And I hope some of you feel that in your life. This is actually one of the reasons that, that faith in God can be difficult for people after some time. Because you're like, I, I was trying everything. I, I listened to the sermons and I applied them to my life. And yet something happened in my life that seems so unfair. And this is one of the under the sun lessons. The, the lessons of your earthly life is that life actually is not fully fair depending on how you live it. Look what it says in verse 3. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. One thing happens to all, meaning the, the, the tragedy that awaits some of our lives. It could happen to those of us who are very close to the Lord right now, and the tragedy that could happen to your life could be because some of you are very far from the Lord. And there will be sickness and disease, and there will be hardships and tragedy, and we will live in a time of human history that has difficult circumstances placed on us, regardless of how well we are doing. What do we do with that? What do we do with a life that seems to unfold apart from all of the hard work that we're putting in? And I hope some of you can relate to that. One of the ways that Solomon will give us more details into this struggle is found in verse 11. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. The fastest person doesn't always win the race. Now, the fastest person in the world might be somewhere in some remote village and they don't even know that the race is happening. The richest person, those that will step into great wealth, oftentimes it's because you won some sort of genetic lottery with your family line or the place that God puts you in, of the economics of the country that you're placed in, you have won the lottery with your citizenship in the United States. It doesn't mean you're the smartest. It doesn't mean you're the best entrepreneurs. It doesn't mean that you deserve the wealth that some of you will acquire. It means that time and chance has placed you in this moment in human history, and you are now wealthier than someone who maybe would do better with the wealth that was given to you. And it goes on to say understanding and wisdom and knowledge and the, the things that you have in your life are so much to do with the way that God has placed you. 
and put you in the place that you are to gain understanding and to gain knowledge. And at the end of the day, anything could happen to anyone. And the results are going to be mixed. And I think one of the examples that I find comfort in and also great fear in is the mixed results that come from parenting. Here's an example for you. You look at kids who turned out really well, and you want the through line of their success. As parents, you want to say, if you find a kid that's doing really well with their life, they, they moved out of the house, they're on solid ground, they're loving Jesus, they're working hard, they're raising a family, they're giving God glory, surely you'll be able to find parents that did really well in their life, right? And that's just not always the case. And in fact, it seems to be a 50-50 split. Kids that do really well, you hear their story and you're like, they're like, my parents pulled me in. They told me about Jesus. They trained me in the way that they should go. And now I live for him. And that's the, the hope for all of us in here that the kids in the children's ministry right now are going to be the products of great parenting. But that's not always the case. Sometimes you hear those kids and we just... Uh, we, we just did our global missions catalog or the tour that you can go on. Some of you are going to go to India. And you're going to see kids that have become doctors and lawyers and mission workers and pastors. And they are doing great things for the kingdom of God. And they were from the orphanage. Their parents died in child labor. Their parents didn't have any input into their life. And God sovereignly saved them and used their circumstances to do great things in their life. And, and the converse is true as well. Sometimes you see a life of tragedy and you think, oh, where was the family? Where was the support? What happened to that person? Well, they had great parents and there was a disconnect and they turned into be a prodigal child and they took their inheritance early and they wasted it all in a foreign land. They had great parents and they still turned out bad. Or they grew up in poverty and tragedy and the, the, the curse of their parents has been placed on their head and now they still live in poverty and tragedy. The, the results are so mixed. And we do not love to hear this. The idea that you would come to church and you'd learn about wisdom makes so much more sense to our hearts and our minds to say, if I trust in the Lord with all my heart, my life is going to turn out this way. If I do the, 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 the Bible studies and I follow the Lord in church and I send him, he sends me on missions, then my family will be blessed and my life will be blessed and I will smooth sail all the way to heaven where he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we need the reminder of Ecclesiastes this morning to say that that is not how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God is not a wisdom equation. And I think, again, that's why Ecclesiastes is a hard read, but a very important read, lest we think that we leave this place walking in wisdom, and now God owes us all of the things that we ask for. There's a story in the ministry of Jesus in the Gospel of John that always frames this so well because this is an ancient question. When we find tragedy, when we see difficulty, when we hit the shipwreck, we want to try to figure out what went wrong. And we want to try to figure out if it was our fault or if it was some curse that God is giving us because of the people around us. And this is as old as the first century uh, world that Jesus was doing ministry in. It says in John chapter 9, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born this way? That's our question. There's a great tragedy. Clearly this man's not wise. Clearly he must come from a family of fools. So which is it? Did he do the, the, the unrighteousness that caused the blindness, or was it his family curse? And that's how we think. What is causing the tragedy of my life? 
Is God mad at me? Have I done something wrong? Am I, am I not doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And now I have to deal with these hard circumstances in the world around me that is pressing and mad because of something or someone. And what does Jesus say to his disciples and to us as we navigate walking out the wisdom that will find us blessed but with mixed results? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Wisdom is the very best way for you to live your life. It's part of the design that God has for your life. And wisdom will learn to trust God beyond what you can see, which is why this is a beautiful story of blindness. Wisdom does not give you a a path to walk on so that your life runs perfectly. Wisdom gives you a path to walk on so that you trust God perfectly. And that whatever is happening, the tragedies of your family and your personal life and the world that you live in, it is so that the works of God would be revealed. So oftentimes God allows wisdom to follow the ups and downs of life so that the works of God can be revealed in how he is greater than any wisdom you can walk in. Acts chapter 17 is another picture of time and chance falling under the sovereignty of God, that the works of God would be in you because Paul says that we have been placed in our time and the placing of our dwelling so that we would search for God and find him. So the time you live in, the place you live in, the circumstances that that surround you in this timeline are so that the works of God can be revealed. And the works of God will give you the ability to walk in wisdom through very challenging and and difficult things. So that's one area of madness, is that the world that we live in is not perfect, and wisdom won't change that. Here's another area of madness. Again, in in, uh, chapter 9, verse 3. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live And after that, they go to the dead. So here's another reason that wisdom will never equal a perfect week, let alone a perfect life. We're all a little bit crazy. (laughs) That's what it says. He says, inside the hearts of men is madness and evil. Inside our own hearts, even the desire to walk in wisdom has to have to run through the filter of our fallen hearts. Uh, Solomon goes on to give a very clear example of how you can build up a life in wisdom and how quickly the evil heart of men can destroy that. It says in verse 18 of chapter 9, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Uh, Isn't that true of why we leave here and we should not be surprised when we come under much trouble? Jesus says, don't be surprised when this world is fallen and you come into various trouble. It's because All of us have a brokenness in our heart to fully walk in wisdom. And as much as you do good to live out the wisdom, slow to anger, perfect balance in righteousness and wickedness, the desire to see God glorified in the present, not just the past, there's all sorts of variables, and you can look to your left and right and see how many people it would be required to make your life go well. Every single one of us in our desire to be wisdom also have a capacity for evil, and evil just seems to win the day. So the example, he says, is that one sinner can destroy much good. One fool can destroy much wisdom. I, I think of my, uh, my son, who is, he's probably the most foolish person in our house right now. <laughs> he's, he's, uh, he, I'm, he's, he's learning wisdom, but um, 
I love to see this verse played out in my house because it's a constant reminder of how all of our lives work. So my two oldest daughters love Legos right now. They have a little Lego table, and they build Lego cities. It's like, here's my house, and here's your house. Here's the road. Here's the grocery store. And it takes them hours to build it and care for it. It's like they're tending to their own garden. And it's to God's glory. They're little creators, and they, they just want to care for it well. It's a city built on love. And then what happens? After about four or five hours, the, the, uh, the, the foolish Tommy comes in, and he goes, smash. <laughs> And they're like, no, I've watched this happen for about a year now, where they build it up, and it takes hours and hours and hours, and then it takes about 30 seconds, and then I hear the cry, Tommy got the Legos. This is our life. <laughs> this is your life. And, and we wanted to say, like, okay, we're the wise sanctuary. Out there is a den of fools, and we're going to do our best to walk in wisdom. But the world is foolish, and it's, it's going to hell in a handbasket, and our wisdom will be destroyed by the work of the fallen nature of the world, which is in some ways true. We can build up our best in the children of VBS and teach them the way they should go. And then they, they, they go into to schools or into a group of friends and, and how quickly wisdom turns into foolishness. But it's also true in the family of God. As we build up the sanctuary of worship, we desire God to be high and lifted up and glorified over everything that we do. And we desire to make his name great. How quickly all of that can change with one foolish act from a believer who falls, who puts the name of God in the, in, in the, in the place of shame because of something, and we see the stories of it all the time, that one foolish act can t- cause all of the wise works to be destroyed. And here is the sad truth. This is the human condition. You this morning are human. In your heart is madness and evil. In your heart is a desire to know God, but under the sun we are all leaned towards foolishness. I love the verse or the, uh, the quote from Solzhenitsyn. He says, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a place of his, a piece of his own heart? A man who saw a front row seat to communism, this idea that, that the human spirit would win the day. And if we could all just agree in, in humanism, we would win. And it's never going to happen. The problem is not skin color or race or uh, different cultures or the problem is not politics. The problem, it, these are all manifestations of the reality that the reason that life is so full of madness and mixed results is because all of us have a line dividing human, or good and evil, cutting through our own hearts. All of us need the message of hope that apart from God, under the sun, of course all is vanity because we can't fix this thing. There's no amount of wisdom that's going to solve the human condition. There's no amount of man-made ingenuity that will keep us from the folly of man-made problems. And that is the madness that awaits. And this is where we, we, we shift in Solomon's encouragement now this morning. Because he looks out and he says, even if you've got the best wisdom, there's madness all over the place. So what do you do? What do we do in a world that could so easily be given over to foolishness winning the day? If it's easier to be a fool than to be wise, if it's easier to tear down than to build up, 
If it's easier to, to, to see the craziness and the madness than to see the righteousness and the wise, then what do we do about it? Well, that's how we get to the exhortation that Solomon has, there is hope. He says, but for him who is joined to the living, there is hope. For him who is joined to the living, there's hope. And then he's going to give a picture. But before he does, here's the hope. Here's the amazing good news this morning. This is so exciting. When this dawned on me, this should shift our countenance once again towards joy and excitement and a desire to walk in wisdom and make the most of the life that we have. Solomon's saying this. At least you're still alive. You are not dead. That's the baseline for the hope. He says, okay, over all of this, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be mixed results. The, the, the best is not going to always win, and the wisest is not going to always be the one that, ha- that has his way, and the rich will, will, will not always be the smartest. But for the time that you have, you're alive. He says there is still hope because you are still alive, and there's still something that can happen to your life under the sun that can be good. And then he gives this amazing picture. He says, but for him who is joined to the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. A living dog is better than a dead lion. This is one of those underrated Bible verses that needs to, I think this needs to to just come a new wave of one of those uh, fireplace mantles. Um, (laughs) You are a living dog, (laughs) and that is better than being a, a, the ruler of all the animals, the ruler of all of the created kind, as, as, as the myth goes. It's the, this lion, this power, and the roar, and the fierce, the top of the predators. And we look at that, and we say, amazing. I wish we had that kind of vigor, or that kind of life, or that kind of power. I wish we were the top. I wish we were the rulers. And he says, listen, lions are dead, but you dogs are alive, and that's something you should find hope in. And it was even better in the, in, in the understanding of the Hebrew reader because uh, the lion, of course, is this picture of strength and righteousness. The proverb says that the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are strong as lions. It's this picture of a life well lived in power. And then the Hebrew reader would read dog as most of the world would. We, we have dogs as our pets, and it's beautiful, and we all want to get to Westminster, I'm sure. But the, the, the most of the world sees dogs as giant rats. It's like that dog right there is scrapping for food, and they're running around. And they, if you go to anywhere else in the world, it's like, oh, these darn street dogs are everywhere, and they howl in the middle of the night, and they're, they're full of rabies, and they bite, and just get rid of them. And if you've been around the world, you know that street dogs are just kind of around. And they're not something that you would elevate as uh, a, a desirable animal. And so Solomon says, now compare the two. If the dog is alive, he's better. If the street dog has got breath in his lungs, it's better than the lion who was once fierce and powerful but is now dead. And he says, and that should give you all hope. And so now we speak just under the sun. This is hope outside of the heavenly power that we all, uh, we all hope for beyond the sun. This is just a reality of the room right now for those of you who have not put your faith in a reality beyond the sun. This is your hope. This is the one thing that you have in your life that is better than anything that you could look at and say, well, in, in human history, there have been some really great people who have come and gone, but they're dead. And most of human history is dead. And your time on the planet is going to go by so fast. It's going to be a blink of an eye that you are literally a miracle just for being alive. And so Solomon's like, hey, 
I know life's not fair. I know that you can't live it perfectly and you're going to get mixed results, but you are a privileged person because you're alive, and that is going to give him reason to give an exhortation on how to live a good life. If you have life, how do you do it well? For those of us who are kingdom people, I love this concept because we know that there's a life in this life that is more than just physical life. We're here because we are alive not just physically, but we are alive spiritually. And when we think about the ups and the downs and the tragedies and the hardships of everything that we go through as believers, one of the things that Solomon offers to people under the sun, we offer to people under heaven, which is you are spiritually alive. And that is a baseline for hope and joy that you must cling to because everything else seems to be a variable. You are not going to always be spiritually full. You are not always going to be spiritually feeling blessed and peaceful and prosperous. But you can always know that you are spiritually alive in Christ. And that is your hope. That you still have today breath in your lungs and the knowledge of the Holy One and the power to worship Him. And Solomon says, you got hope still because you're alive. Here's what Jesus says about the two lives. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Under the sun, people, here's the greatest of them all, John the Baptist. Now, you should listen when Jesus says someone's the greatest. Born of women, under the sun, he's talking about physical, earthly life. He says the very best one is John the Baptist, which, as we study Ecclesiastes, it's good to point out that Jesus did not say, of those born under the sun or of women, the very best one was Solomon, because Solomon was the wisest, he was the most powerful, he was the king of the glory days of Israel, and that's not what he says, which reminds us that wisdom is not the through line to success in the kingdom of God simply. He says of the one born in women, it's John the Baptist, the one who prepared the way, the one who told people of the coming one who would bring life and life abundant. So John the Baptist is the greatest under the sun, the way he lived his life. And yet, what does Jesus say? But he who has least in the kingdom of heaven is even greater than he. Those who have been born again, those who now have the spirit of God living inside of them for life and life abundant, that they would bear fruit on earth. They belong to the kingdom of God. They stand under the blessings of every spiritual gift under heaven. They have the ability to worship God and know God and live for God and walk in the good works that God has prepared beforehand. You're better than anyone who's lived under the sun. Just to have life in his name is your hope today. And you, whatever happens in this world, as you desire to follow Jesus and walk in wisdom, there is hope because you are among the living. You are alive, and that is our, that is our stabilizer as life goes up and down. And then he says in verses 7 through 9, this is where the redemption comes. So we're, we're hopeful. We're still hopeful. And it's important to point that out as we think about redemption. Because if life truly is maddening, and you can't truly figure out how to live in wisdom so that you know exactly what will come out on the other side, and you're part of the problem, and the world around you is part of the problem, one of the things that could come, if, as you think about that under the sun, is total despair. Well, what am I supposed to do with my life? Why, why do anything? Why live for God? Why live for wisdom? Why try my best to live for righteousness so that I can walk in the good fruits that God has for me? If truly my wisdom will be broken down and the, the outputs of life seem random, what am I doing? And, and Solomon says, well, there's hope. You're alive. So what do you do with your life? And this is where redemption comes in. What do you do with the message that you are alive today 
And that is something that you should be celebrating because it's a gift. Well, this is what he says. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 7 through 9. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already accepted your work. Let your garments always be white and your head lack no oil. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun, all of your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life and in the labor with which you perform under the sun. So here's what he's saying. You're alive. You came to hear this word preached over you this morning. Don't despair. You have a window of time where God is still giving you life on earth. You still get to share in the worship and the preparation of his church. You still get to share in the fellowship and the love for one another. You still get to walk in good works that God has for you at least today. Tomorrow's not promised. So what does Solomon say as a way for redemption for the maddening realities of life? Enjoy your life. Enjoy it. Stop living your life in despair that it's not fair. Stop wondering why life just seems to go through so many ups and downs. Today is the day that the Lord has made. We choose to rejoice and be glad in it. We have a little bit of time left. We still have time to gather as believers before we meet him face to face. We still have time after this service ends to be with one another, and it's a fleeting moment. And so he says, enjoy your life. And this is where redemption comes in. We often think of the term redemption as saving the lost, redeeming lost souls into the kingdom of God, and giving them a place in heaven, which we all celebrate for those of us who have received that. But redemption also has to do with your time. Look what it says in, in Ephesians it says, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Don't be foolish, but be wise. How do you do that? Redeem the time because the days are evil. Because the days are unfair. Because we still live in a fallen world. Because the days are evil in the sense that evil will win the day in some ways. There will be an advancement of evil in, in this side of world under the sun. There will be times where evil is prolonged and the, the, the wicked seem to prosper. The days are evil. So what do you do? What do you do with your life? He says, redeem your time. Redeem today. Redeem the window of time that God has given you to live in. And he says that in, in ways that are now under the sun and to God's glory, available to all of us. There is a hope that you have because some of the ways you redeem your time are simple, obedient, faithful ways to live for God. You know, we, we think in big terms often. It's like we redeem the time and there is a mission of God for you to accomplish and it's great work and that's true. I believe that for every single one of you. God has given you a spiritual gift and you will redeem the time of your life to give him glory and see him move through you. But there's also a specific and unique way that you redeem the time today. What does he say? He says, one, just eat and be merry. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your works. Today is the day 
to eat and be merry with joy in your heart, knowing that God has already approved you. He's already accepted your good works. It reminds me of a, a pastor I, I, I really admire, and he was talking about call, being called into ministry. He says, when I first got called into ministry, I thought I was taking a vow to such a holy life that any kind of joy or recreation or delight in life was time wasted because life is so short and I have to be on the mission for the gospel at all times, preaching, studying the Bible, witnessing, evangelizing, that I don't have time on this side of heaven to enjoy life. And so he, he, before he was saved, he loved to go out in the ocean and to surf. And he said, when I became a pastor, I hung up the surfboard, I took out the Bible, and I condemned all the surfers I saw in the water. And then he said, the Lord showed me that my life here on earth is part of the way that he's redeeming my life. That he wants me to know how to delight in his creation. How to delight in the joys and the good desires that he puts in my heart. And we see the ministry of Jesus. He was accused of being a wine-bibber and a glutton because he seemed to delight in the feast. He seemed to enjoy spending time with people eating, breaking bread, and drinking wine unto the glory of God. And yet, oftentimes, we become so heavenly-minded, we're of no earthly joy. We don't take time to redeem the time and enjoy the time. We're so convinced that the, the world is tragic and it's, it's, it's failing and our life is hard that we don't take the moment to say, God, today is a day that we will rejoice. We break bread with a merry heart. He has approved your work. I love that line. He's approved the work already. I think sometimes when we start to follow Jesus, we think, well, someday, someday I'll get to the joy. Someday I'll get to the moment where I get to sit back and enjoy the family that God has given me and enjoy the, the, the labor that God has given me. But right now I'm going to work really hard. We live in a very work-centric culture. It's like, go out. you got a million things to do. Someday you'll retire and you'll go and you'll take your kids on vacation. But until then, work really hard. And Solomon says, the output's so random. <laughs> You think you could work for 30 years, your retirement fund and your Winnebago will be waiting, and that's not always how it works. You think you're going to work there's just this, the next quarter, you're going to get everything done, you got the family vacation, you're going to hang out with your kids when you get there. Uh, you think, man, I'm going to really join a church family and break bread and learn how to fellowship and be in community and pray with people, but right now I've got to focus on my career, and then I'll get to it. And Solomon says, break bread, be merry, God's approved the work. Today is the day for you to enjoy life. Today is the day for you to trust that whatever your work is in the Lord, it's his. It belongs to his hands, and you can trust him with it. As I was sharing this word uh, with the pastors, Noah chimed in and said, you know, for me, this is so hard to do, to simply enjoy my life, to simply take time to break bread, be with my family, and offer my praise and thanksgiving to God, that he had to go back to the biblical understanding of a day of delight that he calls Sabbath. A day where he would put down all of his work and just spend a moment of his week saying, God, I am going to enjoy you today. And I think as we've studied Ecclesiastes, I've just seen so many different ways that as we take wisdom to heart, we're set apart for the light in the dark. If we were people of joy, if we were people who knew how to enjoy the things that God has given us today, 
If we're people who knew how to break bread and praise him and thank him for the fellowship that we have for one another, we would look very different than the rest of the world. A world that is caught up in the rat race of life and the busyness and the agendas and the activism and all of the things that we have to do. And then someday we'll finally get to a place of rest. And today God's people hear the word that says, enjoy the day that the Lord has made unto his glory. And then he gives us a a second application. He says, live joyfully with your wife. Live joyfully with your wife whom you love the days of your vain life which he has given you under the sun. All of your days of vanity. The relationships of your life. Of course, Solomon's speaking to the men, and I, I do want to apply this broadly, but I do want to speak also to the word directly to the men of the sanctuary. Enjoy your wife. Don't be so busy about your career and your work and all of the things that you want to do to find your peace and your ease. Lead your families well. Enjoy your, enjoy your wife. Enjoy your family. This is something that, again, we would be set apart in the world if we did this better. If we were men who enjoyed the wife that God has given us. And then applied more broadly for all of us. This is a picture. The man and the woman are the picture of unconditional love to one another. That God says, this is, a, this is a picture of Christ and his church, man and woman. And he calls all of us to bring that picture to all of our neighborhoods. So, people in this sanctuary right now, enjoy the person that God has placed you in community with. Who are these people? Are they the person that you live with in your household of faith? Are they the people in your community to, to live and to work with and to, to, to do life with? says, while you're here on earth, your window goes so fast that you have to take time to enjoy the people in your life. The great commandments to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself happens on a daily basis. And yet, we get so caught up in the madness of this world that we've turned into people who don't love each other very well. There's a C.S. Lewis quote that was floating around in the year 2020, as you may be able to guess why, because it was one of those maddening times where the output did not seem to, to meet the input. It's like the, many people did really hard work, worked really well in wisdom, and 2020 hit us all. It became confusing and hard and difficult. And it's like, what do we do as we wait for the impending doom of the world? And I love this quote from C.S. Lewis because it was true then and it's true now as we continue to wait for the impending doom of our world. He says, if we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let the bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together and frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies but they need not dominate our minds. Today is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. Tomorrow is sufficient for its own trouble. You inquire foolishly to uh, overindulge the past. Rejoice in what God has given you today. And then he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Here is the the under-the-sun reality that often people outside of the knowledge of God do not want to accept as their own worldview. Uh, Apart from God, 
apart from the spiritual reality that there is a God who exists beyond this world, the grave is the end. That's it. You die, and it's over. And yet I've done enough funerals, and I've heard enough input from people who wouldn't call themselves believers, but they would still say, well, I believe they're smiling down. Well, I believe that someday we'll all be in a better place together again. Under the sun, here's the reality. If you have not come to the acknowledgement of a creator God who exists outside of time and dimension now, once you go to the grave, that is the end of your life. There will be no more anything. And what Solomon is pointing out time and time and time again under the sun is if this is the life that you have, you better work really hard because once you go to the grave, all of your accomplishments will be put to rest. All of your opportunity will be done. All of the people that you once loved, you will no longer be able to love again. All of your passions will be laid to the grave. He says, so work hard in whatever you do. Work really hard at it. And that's an under the sun advice that you truly should listen to because the alternative is very bleak. If there is no reality, there is a temptation to say, what is the point of anything, and then just to give up. But the reality today is, the best thing you can do with your life is to work hard and enjoy the day. And then you infuse God into that. And we say that is true both for non-believers and believers, but for those of us who come to worship God and live life more abundant and have under the sun pointing us to a heavenly realm, we also can benefit from this word this morning. Our job is to work the fields of harvest until he comes, to not grow weary in doing good, to trust that we are here with good works for us to walk in. And you are going to delight the most in God when you live for him the most. So I love how one commentator put it. He says, don't waste your time on useless work, mere busy work. The barren pursuits of darkness expose, them thing, expose these things for the sham that they are. Working hard is what gives us delight. It gives the bread that we break and the wine that we taste and the, the family time that we have all the more joy. And God has given every single one of you something to do with your life. You have been saved not by works. Your work does not lead you to God, but as you receive God as a free gift of grace, he has works waiting for you. Every single one of you. And the word this morning says do them. And do them well. And do them with all your might. And do them unto the Lord. And do them to his glory and to your joy. And your life will be so full of satisfaction. And so we go back to John chapter 9 because this is actually where Jesus takes the story. Remember, Jesus comes across this blind man and everyone's wondering, why is this guy, why is this guy blind? Is it his fault or his parents? And Jesus says, no, God wants to reveal his work in him. And then he says this, I must work the works of him who sent me while in the day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So the primary focus of all of our gatherings is to praise God and become more like Jesus. We want to follow him more closely. We want to hear his words and apply them to our life more fully. And we want to look at the way he lived his life and live ours after him. And one thing that he said is that I've got a short window of time. There's, I have to do the works of him who sent me while it is day, while I have this window on earth. Because there is a time coming under the sun when you can't work anymore. And there will be a time coming 
under the sun that isn't just true of one life, but of the human experience where the redemptive power of God working in the harvest fields of the lost souls that need to be won into the kingdom, it will be finished and it will be complete. And now is our short time. We're the, we are the foolish ones that God will use to confound the wise. We are the, the, the dogs in God's kingdom that are better than the dead lions of the world. And he says, do the work. Jesus says, Any, as long as I'm here, I'm the light of the world. And that is true of your life. You are also, as followers of Jesus and representatives of the living God with a life that goes beyond the sun, you now are the light of the world. Don't let your light hide under a basket. Be people who do the work that God has put you to do. Here is the dichotomy once again. This is a message for everyone living an earthly existence for the 70 to 80 years that we're granted. And this is a message for us to understand how we who are born again live life in the kingdom to the fullest. And here's how the divide happens. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Under the sun, we're dead. Under the sun, we are a brief window of living dogs before we become like the rest of the dead lions. Under the sun, we have a, a, a way to get through life without going mad, which is to just enjoy food, enjoy our family, enjoy our work, and then give it all back because we can't take it with us. This is what the, the New Testament writer would say is being dead in our trespasses. And yet, with this message this morning, we realize that in this short window, there is a work that Jesus came to do to open the blind eyes of those sitting under the sun, to bring us life and life more abundant and place us into the category of people who live beyond the sun. This is the work that Jesus accomplishes. This is why we worship him. This is why we pray that his spirit would, would, would fill us and allow us to live unto his glory. And this is the work that we now take part in to be people who represent life beyond the sun. Enjoy today. Work hard. And live your life so eager for what God is doing to bring us beyond this earthly existence. The final thing I'll say, and then we'll take communion. Seeing, this, is a, this is one final thought, to make sense of all of the life that goes left and right and up and down and the, the unpredictable things that await us. One commentator says this, seeing beyond the sun, seeing beyond this under the sun perspective, we can say that we should not measure God's love by what happens in life. We measure God's love by what Jesus did at the cross. We don't measure God's love and God's favor and God's grace by how well wisdom applied works out. Wisdom will bring you accountants of joy and understanding and trust in God, but it will not lead to a perfect life on earth. 
We trust in the love of God because he gave his one and only son to do the work while it was day of dying on the cross, taking away our sins and giving us newness of life that we should walk in. That's what we hold in our hands when we take the bread and the cup. We say, this is the love of God on display. It is not our circumstances that show us about God's love. It's not our timeline of human history and how well the church is doing to expand into the darkness. It is not how well our our prosperous lives or our victories this side of earth go because the race is not always won by the swift and the, the wise do not always have the perfect life. But we know this, we are alive today. Today we have life. And we have life not just in our physical bodies, but in our hearts and in our minds and in a place in heaven because God loves us. We hold that love in our hands, his body and his blood given to us. And then we leave this place and we say, okay, this is the perfect wisdom. That the cross which to those who are perishing is foolishness, is actually the wisdom of God on display. That there's no greater love than to lay down your life. There's no greater victory than overcoming the grave. There's no greater joy than persevering to the end. And he says, now take my bread, take this cup and follow me. This is the life that God has called us to. May you know he loves you because of the cross and may you be people of love because of the cross, to enjoy this day, to trust God, to enjoy the people that God has given you, to work hard unto his glory, because Jesus died and rose again, and we are going soon to be with him. Amen? Amen.